stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Director of ETF Research, Nina Mishra, to talk about the hot ARC ETFs. What should you do? Should you stay in it? Should you buy into them? Should you just ignore them? What What's happening with the ARC Innovator ETFs, the hottest ETFs uh, of ETF land, let's just call it that, since they launched and led by Kathy Wood, who is now, I would say, kind of an icon in the investing world these days. She is, you know, you can just say Kathy and she's on a first name basis now uh, up there with, you know, Warren and some of these other first name type investors. But ARC funds had a bit of a problem in 2021, but that could be a buying opportunity maybe here. So Nina, I brought you on because you are our ETF expert and we've talked about the ARC ETFs in the past, but I think the last time we really focused on them was after 2020 when she had that huge year for her flagship ARC Arc Innovation Fund, the ARKK. That's one of our oldest funds. It was launched in 2014. And in 2020, as all those big growth, the tech pandemic names were hot, it returned, what was it, like 150%, I think it was, in um, 2020. But this year, um, in 2021, sorry, because we're now in 2022, but in 2021, it was down about 24%. So what what's going on at ARC these days, Nina? Hi, Tracy. Yes, you are right. ARC was the biggest ETF story of 2020. So three of ARC ETFs were among the top 10 top 10 performers in 2020. And their flagship fund, as you mentioned, that returned more than 150%. And their genomics revolution ETF, ARKG, was the best performing ARK ETF of 2020. And that had a gain of over 200%. Their next generation internet ETF, ARKW, that also did very well. So the firm, ARK ETF, uh, they had uh, assets less than $3.5 billion at the beginning of 2020. And at the end of the year, their assets had grown to over $41 billion. So that was an asset growth of more than 1,000%. That was just incredible. And they became a top 10 issuer in 2020. Now they are not no longer in top 10 uh, because, as you mentioned, some of those high growth, uh, high flyer, high flying stocks have come down this year. And most of her ETFs uh, are down for the year. The genomics ETF, which had a return of more than 200 percent in 2020, was down more than 35 percent uh, last year. And the flagship fund, uh, as you mentioned, was down more than 20 percent. Uh, and that is despite uh, excellent performance by Tesla, uh, which is the top holding in in the flagship fund. Uh, so obviously, Kathy had become a superstar 
after due to her uh, performance of her EDFs in 2020. And at one point at the beginning of 2021, uh, she was gathering our ETFs were gathering more than a billion dollars every week. It was it was totally insane. And yeah. now, now it, I mean, I it's very difficult to say whether it is time to buy or you know just avoid yeah. these ETFs because these are high flying stocks. If rate rates go up, uh, and some of these have you know they will start earning and start making money, uh, earning net profits maybe ten years, fifteen years from now. So when rates go up, those stocks uh, which have profit projections far out in the future, they they suffer, and that that is something. Uh, that we saw last year too. So it is very difficult to say, but people have compared the performance of ARC with uh, Genesis 20 uh, and some of other high flying uh, fund managers. Uh, in fact, um, we will talk a little bit more about Genesis 20 because you remember that very well. But I also saw uh, another stat by Mev Faber of Cambria Investments, Cambria ETFs. So he pointed out that in 2010, five U.S. stock fund managers were nominated for fund manager of the decade by Morningstar. And all those underperformed over the next decade. And the one, the one which was the best performer over the last decade, that was Bruce Berkowitz Fair Home Fund. That was the worst performer in the next decade. So, uh, I mean, these things happen. You're you're one of the hottest uh, fund managers for a year or two year or three years, and then maybe your performance um, goes downhill. Uh, so far this year, we have seen, despite uh, poor performance, many of uh, ARC fans, uh, they have stuck by Cathy. Uh, I mean, we have seen that then flows slowed down, and then we saw that uh, some some investors uh, were withdrawing their their money from ARC funds. But there were there was no rush for exits. People people believe in her uh, her fans believe in her long term strategy, and that is what Cathy says that uh, these are not short term strategies. These are long term strategies. And uh, recently, in fact, she said that um, her strategy could deliver would deliver forty percent compounded annual rate of return over the next 10 years. And there was some controversy regarding that statement. And then they clarified that the statement applies to uh, disruptive innovation strategies broadly, doesn't refer to any particular product or fund. So uh, we will see what what um, what lies ahead for our ETFs and in, in uh, this year. Yeah, in her defense, the ARC K, which is the original fund of in 2014, although ARC Genomic Revolution is also 2014. I guess they were funded at the same time now that I look. Um, but those two oldest ones do have the best track record. And ARC Innovation is up 374% since that inception versus the S&P 500 up about 137%. And ARC-G is up 204% since inception. So she does have the track record on her oldest funds um, of beating and this quite, uh, you know, a stellar record, especially with ARC Innovation. But as you said, 
a lot of trends tend to change. Like there are managers who just get the hot hand in the right things at the right time. And then, you know, it, it the trend changes on them and that's not anything of their fault. It's just the trend changes. Um, but I did wanna mention that our, on ARC Innovation, you mentioned that Tesla is their largest holding and Tesla was up about 50% last year, but even still at 10% of ARC Innovation, it could not overcome what happened to some of their other holdings. So a few of the top five that's in that fund, Teladoc um, is number two on size in that fund, and it was down 54% last year. Roku is number three, it was down 31%. Coinbase is number four, it was down 26%. And then Unity Software, one of the better performers, that was down only 6.8%. And then she had Zoom right after that, down 45%. So um, I'm kind of surprised it actually did as well as it did, maybe because it does have that big position in Tesla, which was still up 50%. But, um, you know, it is heavily weighted in a lot of these very um, innovative growth names that just, you know, mostly got hammered last year. But that's what you're buying. That's what you know. It's called ARK Innovation. So you are buying these. Yeah. So looking at the long-term performance that you mentioned, um, so obviously her funds did very well in 2020, but uh, if we compare the performance of ARKK, the, uh, the flagship fund, with uh, the NASDAQ 100 uh, ETF QQQ or QQQM, uh, I saw that uh, these two funds, these two ETFs, had very similar performance uh, till the beginning of 2020. It was only because of her, you know, excellent, uh, mind-blowing performance of ARKK in 2020 that it has managed to beat the QQQ over the long term since its inception. And similarly with the Genomics Fund too, the Genomics Fund had a performance which was very similar to the Spider Biotech ETF, XBI, and X, unlike IBB, XBI is equal weighted, so it has a lot of exposure to those innovative uh, small cap and mid cap biotech companies. So ARKG and XBI had very similar performance till the beginning of 2020, and then uh, ARKG had that insane 200% surge in 2020. So that is why it is significantly ahead of XBI now since inception. But Again, talking about Kathy's strategies, uh, I'm a big admirer. I may not necessarily agree with her that these strategies are going to deliver uh, a 40% annualized return over the next five years or whatever, but she remains uh, very firm in her beliefs. Uh, she has strong conviction in her strategies and her research is, the ARC research is actually very good. If you go to the website and, you know, read the research, uh, it is very, very good. And we all remember when she made that call for Tesla uh, going to $4,000, uh, everyone was like, what? But because Tesla was trading near $200, $300 at that, at that time. But, uh, you know, now on split adjusted 
basis, Tesla is far ahead of that rise target. Uh, so I would never ever bet against Kathy. I may not buy her funds, but there are people who are, you know, brutal in their their criticism. And this is this an ETF now which shorts ARC. It is the ticker symbol is SARC, S A R K. Uh, that has done very well because since inception, <laughs> it's a very new fund uh, because uh, ARC is down. So that fund has done well. But uh, I would never bet against Kathy. That, that, that I'm very sure about. So does the S A R K, does that just short ARC innovation? A R K K? Is that what it's yes. short? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wow, that's clever. Um, that makes sense. Um, okay, so this is interesting. If you're telling me that her fund, the ARKK, basically had the similar to the QQQs, that makes sense. And that ARKG is similar to XPI, why wouldn't I just buy the QQQs or the XPI with the cheaper expense ratio? Yes, so if you want to invest in all those tech high flyers, uh, uh, I would prefer to invest in you know uh, high quality technology companies. So QQQ with an expense ratio of 20 basis points or its cheaper version QQQM with an expense ratio of just 15 basis points uh, makes a lot of sense for long-term investors. Uh, but obviously you don't get a lot of exposure to smaller companies uh, that Kathy has bet on, uh, you will have a lot of exposure to the likes of Apple, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Google, and Tesla, and also Facebook and NVIDIA, but not to smaller companies like Teladoc or Intellia or uh, CRISPR Therapeutics, uh, which um, Kathy uh, bets on. Um, but, uh, you know, if you believe in technology, then QQQ or QQQM are the way to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so the the biotech, sorry, it's not XPI, it's XBI. I'm like, oh, I'm losing my mind. Um, and that also has the the smaller yield too. So, okay, so these are just like the more general, not actively managed, obviously, index type funds. But yeah, these yeah. are both uh, uh, passive index tracking funds. That is why they are they are very very cheap. Also compared to our ETFs. And uh, there's one thing I would like to mention that while inflows have slowed down, this is actually a very good situation for Kathy because we remember that uh, when her funds were our ETFs were getting more than a billion dollars every week, everyone was like concerned that uh, uh, how. Will she invest? She will yeah. have. Uh, she will have a lot of money to invest, and so either she would start buying those large cap, uh, mega cap stocks, or otherwise she will have a very large uh, position in some of those smaller cap and mid cap stocks. And uh, having that kind of concentrated uh, exposure, uh, uh, that leads to a risk. And if the market uh, plunges and investors uh, head for exits, then uh, that could lead to a lot of volatility in these type of stock, um, mid cap and small cap stocks. So I think then flows slowing down, Kathy has more flexibility, more leeway on where to invest. So this situation is actually good for her as far as the inflows are concerned. I'm not sure about the performance, obviously. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, it was going to get a little just too difficult for her to invest that much money that was flowing in there. Um, and as we've talked 
uh, outside of this podcast in the past about what happened to the Janus 20 fund. Now that was a mutual fund, not an ETF, but they actually had to close it because too much money was coming in and they couldn't invest all that money um, in the late 1990s when that one got hot. But I do think it's interesting to look at Janus 20 um, in terms of what might what might still be coming for the ARC ETFs because Janus 20 was the one of the hottest funds of the 1990s. And I saw that it was the seventh largest stock fund at the end of 1999 with 37 billion in assets. Didn't you say? Arc was at 41 billion in assets in 2020. So yeah, it's, it's similar surge, not surprising because people chase performance, um, but it fell at an annualized rate of 24% during the dot-com bust because it owned a bunch of those names, especially um, it owned both America Online and Time Warner, which ended up merging and then they those plunged down in addition to the plunging of all the other even you know the big safety stocks like Cisco that it owned because Janus 20 only owned 20 stocks so that's how they you know were able to outperform but they returned 73% in 1998 that's when we all said Janus 20 we have to buy it and we all jumped in and then it closed to investors in 99, also had great performance in 99. And then it was down, down, down for several years. And then everybody fled it. And I think by the end of 2003, I saw a stat that it only had $9 billion in assets because people chase performance, right? And they wanted to get out of there. So I'm not saying that ARC, this is the, the trajectory for ARC. We don't know yet. But um, they were able to turn it around by changing their holdings. So by 2003, its two largest holdings, it still included Microsoft, which had fallen quite a bit by that point. But Exxon was its among its largest holdings, as well as United Healthcare, which was not on anybody's radar in 1999. Neither was Exxon at that point. So and then it sold out of all of its AOL holdings. But Kathy has a different strategy of, you know, this innovation and growth uh, strategy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, she's staying in it. Obviously, it's only faltered for just this last year in 2021. And nobody knows what it's going to do going forward. But Janice 20 basically had to change its strategy to adjust to the market conditions. Um, Exxon at that time would have been a value stock as well as United Healthcare. Both of those would have been value stocks by 2003 right. there. So, right. uh, so, so many people compare ARC to Genesis 20 and yeah. uh, you gave a good summary of what happened uh, then and the the advantage uh, which Genesis 20 manager had that uh, was that Genesis 20 fund was a mutual fund so they could close the fund to uh, new yeah. cash new investors Kathy doesn't have that flexibility ETFs cannot close to new new money. So uh, this less flexibility on investing and or, uh, you know, when your fund grows too big, then how to uh, invest. So that 
problem has, uh, you know, has been solved by by some outflows or slowing down inflows. And also many people compare our um, Genesis 20 uh, situation and uh, the internet bubble burst to the current situation because last year the S&P 500 was up uh, about 27%, uh, posted 70 record highs during uh, 2021 and more than doubled since the start of 2018. So this was the highest three-year return since 97 to 99. That yeah. is when Janice 20 was very hot and that was just okay. before the bursting of the internet bubble. So I don't think we are in that situations because valuations are not insane and especially if you look at the performance of the major indexes last year, particularly the S&P 500 and the uh, and the QQQs, uh, they that those performances were driven mainly by these mega cap tech stocks, the likes of Microsoft, Google, uh, uh, Nvidia, which which are making a lot of money. Uh, their earnings, because of their earnings power, their valuations don't look insane. So I don't think that we are in the situation situation like uh, just before the bursting of the internet bubble. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think so either. I I do think it's not as crazy with speculation as what we saw in the late 1990s and last year's cool off of the growth stocks should help, uh, you know, moderate people's expectations quite a bit <laughs> going forward. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, could it be over for the growth stocks, but the rest of the market, as we saw last year with the S&P, you know, busting out to those new highs, could we continue to see the overall indexes stay pretty hot, but some of these growth stocks not? That could happen. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm waiting to see what kind of rebound we get in some of these growth names, if anything, to start here in 2022. But I did want to talk a little bit about one of the superstar uh, fund managers who did manage to hold on to his track record for longer time period than even Janice 20 was able to do, or, you know, as maybe some kind of guidance to see what possibly Kathy might be able to do in the future, because Peter Lynch at Fidelity, he's one of the older investors from the 1970s. Uh, he ran Fidelity's Magellan Mutual Fund from 1977 to 1990 when he decided to retire at age 46, by the way. He just he threw in the towel, but he did get out before that bull market ended, well before but $1,000 invested when he started, according to Wikipedia, was 28,000 when he left. It was a 29% a year um, annualized return for the fund while he was managing it. And it outperformed in all but two years of versus the S&P 500. And I couldn't find the actual yearly returns going all the way back. The furthest back I found was 1984. Um, from 1984 through 1990, it, the, his fund only underperformed just two years in there. So I'm assuming those are the years that they're talking about. And the worst was in 1987 when the Magellan was up only 1%, but the S&P 500 was up 5.3%. Um, and that was the year of the big market like sell-off crash that happened, but S&P 500 still ended up up 
that year, as did Magellan barely. But still impressive performance over a longer period of time with that 29% annualized. But he had the luck of, you know, managing throughout most of the bull market. And then the bull just kept on galloping, even after he retired, kept going, as, as we just discussed, another uh, about 10 years after he left. So we don't know yet what's happening with this current bull market and what Kathy will do over the next several years. So it's interesting that uh, we talk about the Magellan Fund and uh, it was a very hot stock um, fund uh, then and it has managed to continue its performance. And that is the reason why uh, Fidelity decided to launch an EDF uh, clone of that fund, which has a similar strategy. And we know that uh, these mutual fund managers, many of them are either converting their mutual funds into ETFs because of you know greater tax efficiency, greater transparency, and the ease of trading, or they are launching ETF clones of the popular mutual funds. So Fidelity launched a clone of their Magellan Fund uh, in February last year. It is called the Fidelity Magellan ETF, the ticker symbol is FMAGFMAG, and this is actively managed like the mutual fund. And interestingly, it has gathered only 55 million in assets so far. So people just don't care about, uh, okay. you know, Fidelity Magellan's uh, any longer. Uh, whereas uh, when Kathy launched the space ETF, there was so much excitement about her space fund. Uh, and in fact, all the space related companies like Virgin Galactic and all, they started soaring the, when the news of uh, uh, this uh, ARC space exploration ETF came out. And that ETF uh, launched in March last year, and it gathered uh, more than 475 million in assets over the year. So this is this was the, one of the most successful ETFs of uh, ETF launches of 2021. And uh, Kathy's latest ETF is actually passively managed an index ETF. It is called the Transparency Arc Transparency ETF. The ticker symbol is CTRU, and it seems investors are not interested in any of her, uh, you know, passive ETFs because this ETF has gathered less than 20 million million in assets uh, uh -huh. since its launch in December last year. And there, there were no, not a lot of excitement around its filing or launch. So people just care about things that, that have been hot or, you know, themes like disruptive innovation or uh, internet or space. So they don't care about our trans transparency ETF at all. Wow, interesting. So what how much assets under management do you have to maintain in order to keep the ETF running? Like if that one only has 20 million and Fidelity's only has 40 million, do they do they keep running it at that, those levels? Do they run it for a couple of years and then throw in the towel? What What's the level that you have to be at? So if an ETF fails to gather 
more than 50 million in assets uh, over the you know uh, over one or two years of its launch then it becomes difficult to justify continuing the fund now for bigger providers like fidelity or even for arc they can run a loss making fund too because they have if they have so many assets under their bigger funds uh, so they may not necessarily liquidate that etf but if it's a smaller etf provider and they have just like one or two or three etfs and though that etf has less than 50 million in assets and it's been around for two years or more then the chances of liquidation those go up yeah that's interesting so people people like to chase the names for sure and i i feel like the current a younger generation of investors has no idea what Fidelity Magellan even is. <laughs> there may be nothing about it for the first time on this podcast. I don't know. And it yeah. has been a long time since it was really in the spotlight, you know, over 20 years for sure. So even though the original fund still is going to this day. Yeah, I, I'm sure uh, Kathy's uh, sorry, Magellan is uh, not popular on uh, Reddit boards uh, because Kathy no. is obviously very, very popular on um, among meme stock traders, trade traders, and um, she gets a lot of mention on Reddit uh, as well. And she's very popular in some other countries too. I I read that uh, she has a lot of fans in South Korea and um, and Europe too. So obviously, younger investors believe in those kind of strategies she has she believes in crypto too she has a lot of exposure to crypto related companies and millennial investors younger investors they are bigger believer in uh, digital currencies and that ecosystem than the older investors so obviously her strategies are more popular with younger investors they don't care about the likes of Magellan so can you buy the arcs if you're outside the US so yeah, there are some strategies available um, to investors who are uh, not uh, in the US. I'm not really familiar how they invest, but they they are able to invest. That's what that's what I read. Uh, there's some some strategies available to investors in Europe and investors in South Korea also how they invest in our ETF. Uh, obviously, they cannot invest directly, but some, something similar indirect uh, strategies are available in those countries. All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting year to see what happens with the ARC ETFs. We're all going to be watching it, obviously. And, um, you know, it had the big sell off last year in most of the funds. And we'll see what happens here in 2022 and what the investor reaction is going to be, whether or not they stick with her for another year or start jumping ship. It did take a while for the Janus investors to start jumping ship. It wasn't until, you know, into 2001 or so that they started yanking the money out there. So we'll see. It'll yeah, be. similarly with with our funds too. Uh, investors are not rushing for exits uh, yeah. because younger investors probably they believe in the strategies. Probably they can, uh, you know, stick around for another four or five years uh, if they they're a big believer in her strategies. So we will see how her funds perform and how the broader market performs this year because we have had three years of uh, double digit returns. <laughs> it doesn't hey. look likely with that the market will continue to go uh, go up at that 
pace, uh, but uh, I don't think that we are uh, the market is going to plunge this year. We, we are not uh, we, we are not uh, close to a bear market uh, or a big correction. All right, let me recap a lot of the tickers that we talked about. So on the ARC side, there's the ARC flagship innovation fund, ARKK. The genomics is ARKG. Then uh, we did talk about the passively one that no one's in, the trans, what's called the transparency ETF, CTRU. Yes. Ticker with that one. Um, then if you just want to trade with less uh, expense ratios, you can get similar strategies in the QQQs and the QQQM. Is the QQQM, that's the same as the QQQ, isn't it? Nisha? Right, right. It's, it's, okay. a, it's a cheaper version of QQQ. Okay. And does it, it has less expense ratio? And Yeah, so QQQ has an expense ratio of 20 basis points and QQQM has an expense ratio of 15 basis points. So QQQ is one of the most popular ETFs in the world. So it has a lot of liquidity. It trades in great volumes. If, if you are a trader, you use QQQ. If you're a long-term investor, then you use QQQM. Okay, good. This is good because I always get confused with the two and I'm sure I'm not alone. Okay, so those those two and then you can buy the um, biotech one, which is XBI. And then we talked about Fidelity's Magellan ETF that's launched. If you're interested, go check it out at FMAG is the ticker on that one. And as always, I'm going to be bringing you all the hot topics and things going on in the stock market every week here on the Market Edge. And we're just getting started here in 2022. Should be an interesting year with the Fed making some moves and um, who knows what else is going to happen. But it's always good to be in a new year and get some new ideas. So be sure to subscribe to get all of our podcasts. You can get them on Zax.com. We have a podcast tab up at the top. You can get Nina's podcast as well. She always has great uh, um, guests on her podcast talking about everything that's going on in the world of ETFs. So be sure to check out her podcast over on our podcast page. And you can get all of our podcasts on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, but be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.